we are continuing a series that we've been in called Made for More. And we are going to be hanging out in Ephesians chapter 2 this morning if you brought a Bible. If not, we're going to have the scripture on the screen. But the subtitle of this series is Be Everything You Were Created to Be. And as we get started this morning, uh, a couple of reminders with this series. We have something called Conversation Sunday that's going to be coming up. I just I, I believe church isn't meant to be just a monologue with pastor always talking or church staff always talking. But we are opening up. Uh, the opportunity for you to ask questions during this series, and really it can be anything, and uh, we're going to be spending a, a Sunday or two answering those questions um, as we talk about, hey, who are we created to be, and we wrestle with some of these topics during this uh, message series, so we're so excited about that, so don't forget that, but last week, I want to get us caught up, because last week, we talked about, the title of last week's uh, message specifically was More Vision, More Vision. And uh, if you were here last week, you'd remember that um, I stole a little Lego figurine from uh, our little four-year-old Luca, his, his toy box. Um, the one, you know, the very expressive guy who was up here uh, during our kids' performance, right? He was just like this the whole time, just, you know, like, that, that's obviously Callie. You know what I mean? Yeah, right? You just start blaming it. You blame it on mom, right? It's Mother's Day. Uh, anyway, but we talked about how many times uh, in our lives, the size of a Lego figure, the control that we have over a little figurine is many times how we view Jesus. It's almost like he's a mini figurine in our life. It's almost like we can control him, pop him out of our pocket, put him in when we want to, when it's convenient for us. And, and we lo we're looking at this letter that this guy Paul was writing to the church. And Paul, this was this guy who was a follower of Jesus and really got rocked by the Lord, really got called by God to do great things, wrote and penned two-thirds of what we would call the New Testament, the Christian Bible, right? And he's writing, this, he's writing to the church in Ephesus, and it's called Ephesians. It's this letter, and it's so interesting because he is literally um, in what we would call the equivalent of like house arrest, right? Under, under Roman care because he's going to be put on trial. He is, basically has his back against the wall because the, the, the church during this time was starting to really confront some of the power that existed in the Roman Empire. And so Paul writes in this posture to the church in Ephesus through this posture of basically saying, hey, like, um, I'm thinking about the fact that my back's against the wall. I'm realizing that the chances are I'm going to die. I'm going to pass away soon. I'm going to die because of my faith. So he gives and he writes this perspective of saying, if the church could be something, here is the witness to the world it needs to be. Because I'm going to die. I'm one of the leaders. But here as the church, the legacy needs to pass on. So he writes with this fervor. He writes with this cosmological perspective about the meaning of human life in the midst of a God who is massive in the world, right? So we've been looking at this letter to, 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 the, Ephes, to the Ephesian church, and, and it's amazing because in, in chapter 1 of Ephesians, we learn that all things are under the feet of Jesus. That many times we dumb him down to just a little figurine, but everything submits to his feet. Even the cosmos, even the universe is underneath the feet of Jesus. That is the massive character and nature of who God is. And we talked about He's so huge that he has this massive vision for the church. And the, it's going to be up on the screen. And it's, it's this vision up on the screen. The church is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That's his vision. That he's big enough, but he allows human partnership to be the very thing to help fill his posture, his grace, his power in our society, in our culture, in every very way. Jesus is more, and the church is called to be more, and that includes you. 
That includes me. That includes all of our imperfection, all of our sin, all of the ways that we've missed it in life, but we've been given a chance to partner with this massive vision that God has for the world. And next, we kind of, we kind of contextualize this vision to ourselves in believing this truth that God will provide people who will find their calling and collectively be the solution to every problem in Ponca City. Come on, somebody. It's not, it's not going to be the pastor. It's not going to be the institution of the church. It's going to, the, the church not as a location, not as a building, but we as the church, human beings empowered by God's vision to understand, we get to partner with God and be the fullness of him in our society to fill every nook and cranny with his power, his love, his grace, all of that. That's his vision. And we get to partner with him. And when we dumb down that vision into a mini figurine, we miss the potential of what we could see happen in our culture, in our city, in our nation, in our world. But it takes a shift from the come and doing when we view a church building and what we view sometimes the church is, and it makes us have to shift from a come and do perspective of a building to more of a go and be, and understanding that you and I are each called to be missionaries in our culture, in our sphere, wherever we're at. We have relationships that no one else has. We have gifts that no one else has. We have specific things that God's placed in our heart that no one else has can impact like the way he's called us to individually impact. So with that in mind, we're going to be looking this morning and continuing in Ephesians chapter 2. But this morning's title is this, More Masterpieces. More Masterpieces. You know, God's vision for the church, fill everything in every way with Jesus. But uh, come on, if you were here last week, then, then it kind of begs the next question. How are we going to do that? How does that get done? That, that vision's really nice, but how is it implemented? You know, typically, I remember learning this in leadership for, in church for a long time ago, that many times on a team you have what's called the visionaries, but a visionary also needs to have people on his side or her side called implementers, right? How is that going to get done? I love the beauty of my marriage and my relationship with Callie because Callie is totally the visionary, Right? And I'm always the one who's like, man, but how are we going to do it, the implementers? So it really compliments us. But every team needs each because we need people to see and have vision and speak things into life. But we also need those things to be partnered with people who are going to help build a structure around how we're going to get it done, right? How is this vision executed? But here's what's so amazing. Paul, as he writes to the church, as his back's up against the walls, he's encouraging the church to do only what the church can do in society Chapter 1 goes on to chapter 2 of this letter, and we're clued into that, into this vision that God has. And we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, specifically this morning, and this is what Paul writes. He says this, he says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's pray this morning as we continue. Lord, I'm just so thankful that we got humans in a room together this morning, which means that the potential is unmatched in terms of your vision and your empowerment and the things that you've called us to be and to do. It is more. So, Lord Jesus, I just pray that this morning that we would catch a vision for more, but we would also receive this idea that we are masterpieces. Lord, that you've created us, you've designed us a specific way, not for us to create excuses for, but to understand in that specific way you've created us, you're going to use us and you've called to use us through our brokenness, through our pain, through the highs, through the lows, and Lord, we're thankful. So Lord, would you inspire a vision, would you empower a people 
Lord, to be people that follow through and do what you've called us to do today. So, Lord, would we take steps towards that amazing future you've planned for us today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, uh, here's what I know. God creates every person with purpose. And it's Paul, he's specifically writing to church people, right? And he, he's writing in, 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 in chapter 2 of Ephesians with this verse. But he's writing with a posture that alludes to this sacred summons that each and every follower of Jesus has, which is this word that many times we express and we define in the word calling. Calling. But sometimes calling becomes this exclusive word, right? Is a calling just for pastors? Is a calling just for missionaries? Is a calling just for vocational church leaders and people that are on church staffs? Well, the answer to that is a resounding no. Because we understand that, once again, church is not a building, but it is a people. Church is a community of people that God wants to use to be the fullness of him who fills every thing in society in every way. See, when we believe that calling is just reserved for like the faithful few, it really puts this chokehold on the church and the potential of the church and how God's called it to exist and to function in the world. No more sleeping giants because we are people that are called to be giant slayers. It's time to awaken the things that have gone dead in our lives to the potential of what God wants to pull out of us, believe and speak over for us to accomplish in this lifetime. Our lives are filled with so much unique purpose for each and every one of us. But we have to address this idea of calling. What is our calling, or specifically and individually for you today, what is my calling? It's a great question to ask. So we're going to look at three words that I think help us intersect three areas this morning. Those words are be, do, and go. We alluded to this earlier on in the series, but these are questions that many times we ask in our life because sometimes we get insecure because we're bombarded with lies about who we are as human beings. The idea of be who am I created to be, right? This idea of what is my identity? Who am I? The idea of do. A question many times we ask, what am I made to do? What's my life mission? What's the, what, what's the action I'm going to take to contribute to the world that I live in? And then lastly, go. Where do I fit in? This is a question of position, right? And the, the intersection of those three ideas creates what I would call a sweet spot for our lives. And how many of you guys know that sweet spots are a natural part of God's creation? If you think about it, it's like, like rooms, right? Like there's, there's a, there, there, not every space is created equal in this room in terms of if you're experiencing music, right? But there's, there's some parts of rooms that are the acoustic sweet spots. You're standing right in the place you're supposed to. You're standing specifically where, where literally you're saturated with the best acu acoustic equation, the best scientific position where you're being blasted with the most ideal place to stand in a room, right? Tons of different things have sweet spots. Gun scopes have sweet spots, right? Come on, somebody. Between the crosshairs, right? Come on. Musical instruments have sweet spots. Now, I'm a musician, so 
I brought uh, something up on the stage today. You might have been like, why is there this big black box up on the stage? And I thought, hey, I'm a musician, and I want to illustrate something, and, and I got a picture up on the screen. Um, this is a guitar amp, and this is specifically a, a tube amp, and I have a picture. Can, I, can we show that picture? My pedal board. I think we got it. Yeah, there we go. Okay, so many of you guys know, like, I'm a guitar player. I like to play guitar, but I, I think to help illustrate this, 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 this was helpful for me is that, once again, instruments have sweet spots. Specifically, this is, this is a guitar amp that's a tube amp. And what it does is you plug in your instrument, and basically it produces sound. But you have all these different knobs. You have all these different things. And I, I don't know about you, but, like, I, like I, love, I love, like, perfecting the sound that I make as a guitar player. Like, I want to make sure it sounds good. So you just have, this was, like, taken, like, few years ago, like half the pedals are, aren't even the same pedals anymore. I'm constantly like switching out pedals and stuff, like driving my wife mad because it's just like, it's never correct. It's never right. I'm always looking for the sweet spot. But it's amazing because when you play through a guitar amp, when you turn up the gain, when you turn up the knob, it produces different sounds. When, it, when it's very low, you get a sound that's very like, kind of like chimey, very clean, what a guitarist would call as clean. Kind of some of your more like I don't know, like the, the sound, I think about like a lot of country guitarists play with a lot of diff different clean tones, but the more you dial up that dial on a guitar amp, it gets more crunchy, like heavy metal, like gin, gin, you know what I mean? Like, so you have, this, you have this leeway of like, do I want my sound to be clean or do I want to be really crunchy? But what a lot of guitarists prefer is they want to have power over their sound. So many times they add all of these different pedals where it's like, I, I can't be there switching the knobs on my guitar amp as I'm playing, so I want to have the power in my feet. So what guitarists have realized is they want to set their amps at what we would call the sweet spot. It's this place in between not being really, really clean and kind of twangy, but it's this place that's right in between the twangy and kind of where it starts to break and give you that grit that leads into kind of more of that heavy metal, right? We call this the sweet spot. So what I have to do to dial in my sound is I have to figure out, okay, the volume, I want it to be at a place where when I strum as hard as I can on my guitar, it gives me a little bit of that grit. It's leading into that heavy metal. It's not there, not even close, but when I give a hard strum, it starts giving me that so that when I kick on a pedal, it's going to push it to the limit, and I can get there if I want to. But when I play nice and soft, it gives me something that's more chimey, something that's more kind of musically pleasing to the ears for certain appropriate musical styles, right? This is the sweet spot of a guitar amp. And so many guitar players, they're searching for that sweet spot, and they need to get their amp, and they need to get what they have dialed in because it's the place that you want to be so that you have full control to express who you want to express as a guitar player. Are you hanging with me this morning? All the non-guitar people or music people are like, ooh, you know what I mean? It, it, it makes sense to me, so cool. Anyway, so, so everything has, has a sweet spot, right? But it's the same thing in terms of who we were created to be. The intersection of the be, the do, and the go. And, and here's the good news this morning, is that there's a primary calling for the church. This isn't a secret, this isn't a mystery, but the primary calling in who we are and to be, being, doing, and going, God has not made a mystery. He's actually really, really made it clear, which I want to talk about first. And we find the mission and the purpose of the church in Matthew 28, or verses 18 through 20. See, the calling for the church, God has not made a secret. Actually, he's made it really plain, he's made it really, really clear. 
So let's look at Matthew 28, 18 through 20. The primary calling for the church, the mission for the church, the one that we can't erase this from the scripture. Like if you're a follower of Jesus, like I'm sorry, like you can't just like erase this. You can't do what Thomas Jefferson did and just like take out Bible or verses of the Bible that you don't like. Like you have to wrestle with this one. This is what the church is called to do. And here's what it says in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus is leaving, and this is what he tells his disciples, his followers, before he leaves. He says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And what's amazing about this side of Scripture and Scriptures is that we find the primary calling for the church. It answers those three questions of be, do, go. So let's, let's look at this. Based on the Great Commission, based on the mission that Jesus has sent his church, here's how it answers our core identity, that we are called to be a disciple. Our core mission is to make disciples. And our core position is wherever we are. The primary calling for the church, you can't take this away, is to be a disciple who makes disciples wherever you are. Make them. Go. He's like, go, you're going to fill the earth. Meaning this, wherever people are, you have an opportunity to be a disciple maker. You have an opportunity to orient yourself underneath the rain and the vision and the truth of what Jesus sees about this life that we live in. The sweet spot of our primary calling is a disciple maker or one who makes disciples, who makes disciples, who makes disciples. And here's what I know. There's so many beautiful ways where Jesus can be illustrated. There's so many different ways where we can be a witness of God's love in our lives, including volunteering at the church, right? But here's what I'll say. This is the sweet spot, though. This is it. This is the primary. This is what Je- Jesus sent his, his church on a mission. And this is how we can gauge our spiritual maturity. Are we spiritual fathers or mothers? Are we spiritual grandparents? Are you a spiritual grandparent? Are you a disciple who makes disciples wherever you are? That's a tough question many times for us where we've oriented church in a way where it has that small vision of what we control Jesus. And the vision seems very, very small. And I'll say this, wherever you are, and this is the beauty of even getting to share this on Mother's Day, is we can't miss this as parents. The first and foremost, our job as parents is to disciple the kids that are right in front of us. We're parents. That's our number one job. Our number one ministry, our number one church opportunity is ministering and discipling our family. It's like, well, that's the youth pastor's job. Well, that's, don't delegate the responsibility God's placed right in front of you to the youth pastor or the kids pastor or the staff member of the church. There is a power beyond the institutional power of the church that lies in your hands to be the most influential person in your kids' lives. That's the primary calling. To invest in our kids. It's generational. You know, 2 Timothy 2.2, I love this generational element. We can't deny the generational element. In fact, 
Paul, he writes to this young pastor, Timothy. In the same way he's writing to the church in Ephesus, there's another letter where he's writing to this young pastor who's discouraged. And this is what he says. He says, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So there's just like all, there's all these people involved in this massive equation. He's, the things you, Timothy, have heard from me. So Paul pouring into Timothy, who then pours into a first generation of reliable people who are then expected to pour into another generation of others. There's generation after generation of saying, we're going to invest in people who then invest in people who then invest in other people. It's the primary calling. But how, how are we accomplishing this? How are we doing this? And I truly believe that the pastor, the church, how we think about it as an institution is, is the primary one who's creating an environment to resource people to, to fulfill their primary calling. And this, this can be a very sobering question to ask. How are we doing this? Let's talk about our, our church, Ponca City Church, PCC. How are we accomplishing this at PCC? And a way to be disciples and make disciples wherever we are, that is why we do such things as small groups. That's why we do such things as small groups and apprentices apprentices in small groups, right? That our small groups are created in a way, this is just one way. One way as a church we're expressing, we're saying we're going to make disciples, we're going to be disciples who make disciples wherever we are. Nobody, these small group leaders that we have at our church, can I just say this? They're not getting paid, right? They're not staff members. These are literally people that are like, I want to invest in other people. I want to navigate and actually fulfill the primary calling. Here's what I, I just truly believe this, is, 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 is a small group leader, man, Anyone can do it. Anyone can do it. We've, we've re, we're trying to structure our church in a way it's saying, hey, the primary calling, it matters. More than anything, how do we empower ourselves to be disciple makers? How do we fulfill the actual mission that God sent us on? How do we take that calling serious, understanding that when we choose to be people that maybe invest in a few, we're spending our time in such a rich place to pass on from generation to generation the things and the power of Jesus. And I'll say this up on the screen. We got summer small groups happening starting next week. I just want to challenge us. Man, are you, are, you, are you taking a posture of discipleship? Are you saying, oh, I see the value in being with other people who are going to push me in the direction of my life. And they're going to push you in a direction to say, okay, I'm a disciple, but how, how can I make disciples? Maybe I'm a person who's called to lead such things as a small group. Maybe I'm called to lead a group that's going to help push and encourage others. And I'll just say this, it's, it's one way that we do it, and it's not perfect. It's one way that, that we do it, and um, we're still working on this. We're still trying to navigate and figure the best way, where it's not an intimidating aspect. When we talk about God's primary mission for the church, people are like, I have no clue how to do that. That's, that's our mission as a church, is figure out how do we encourage and empower you to be who God's called you to be? How do we resource you in a way from an intimidating idea of what it means to be a disciple who makes disciples wherever we are to you having practical resources of saying, I could do this thing. I feel like I could do this thing. Yeah, it might be a little scary, but I could do this thing. How do we take ourselves from a culture of being really passive about this and being a lot more intentional? These are the types of conversations we're having as a church staff right now. How do we resource people to fulfill that primary calling? Because it's primary. We can't shy away from it. We can act like it. We can get off on a rabbit trail. We can be a church that represents something else. 
but, but we're, we're true and we're committed to the thing that God said was primary. Here's your mission. Go do it. How are we doing that? How are we doing that collectively? So that's it, right? That's our calling. Well, no, it's not. This is the crazy thing. That's, that's the primary calling. But we're going to look back at Ephesians chapter 2, the first verse we began with. Because there's something unique that God's doing in each and every one of us that plays into the bigger vision of what God sees for us. In Ephesians 2.10, let's read that again. It'll be up on the screen. It says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Handiwork, such a beautiful word in the Greek. A Greek word that's pronounced poema, meaning this, a worksmanship of God. And here's what I love. Look around the room right now. Not one person is the same as you. You are unique. You are a unique masterpiece. You are a work of God. You are a masterpiece in Jesus' name. God has created his church to be so diverse. Your personality looks different than the person that you're rubbing shoulders with, right? Who you are, the way that you look, God has created a uniqueness, and you are a unique masterpiece. The Bible describes in the diversity of who God has created you to be. So there is this primary calling that God has commissioned his church to be a part of, but the beautiful thing under submission of that is there is this unique calling that each and every one of us has. There's a personal calling that each and every one of us uniquely in the way God has created us to be answers these questions of be, do, go. Ephesians 2.10 unlocks the reality of how we answer the question of what are we called to do. So up on the screen, let's look at this. Unique and personal calling. Here's the B. You are uniquely made. You have a unique identity. That's you. No one is like you. God created you to be you just the way that you are, right? That's who we are. That's our identity. Do. Well, as Ephesians 2.10 continues, to do good works and deeds. That's our unique mission. There's unique works and deeds that you've been called to do that no one else can influence in that culture, in that sphere of society. And then lastly, go. You go where you can be most effective. There's a unique position. People are trying to find the best place where they could steward the gifts and the uniqueness of how God has created you. It's amazing that each and every one of us have this sacred summons that is, yes, related to the church, but then, yes, uniquely created for each and every one of us to influence our culture and our society. Our unique or secondary calling consists of the unique combination of our strengths, our weaknesses, our passions, our burdens, our values, our relationships, our experiences. These are all clues embedded in our lives to be discovered and put to use for God's purposes. God wants to take the bad, the good, the ugly, the realities of your life and use it for good in a way only you can contribute to. It's beautiful when we begin to unpack and think about the potential of so many different God-given missions represented in this room that collectively, what would be possible? I love what Oz Guinness 
We looked at a quote from Oz Guinness a couple weeks ago. But he's, he authors this book called The Call that talks about personal calling. And I love this quote. He says this, calling is generally entrepreneurial. In most areas of life, we do not hear God's voice or see any vision from God. Like the servants in the parable of the talents, we go about the master's business seeking to multiply and maximize the talents he has entrusted to us. God has given you specific talents based on the ways that you are gifted and created. No one else can do what you can, and God designed you that way specifically. It's so freeing. It's so amazing, but, but it's entrepreneurial, meaning this, it's not assumed. It's not clear cut. It's not like I can open the scripture and just point my finger to something and be like, that's my calling. No. See, it has to be discovered. It has to be pursued. Our personal and unique calling is God's unique handiwork in our lives to equip us to play our unique role in his mission here on earth. And this is what's so amazing is these aren't two separate ideas, the primary way that we've been called and the unique way, but they play off of one another. You're going to be able to invest in other people within the sphere and the influence of where God has created a grace on your life. I look at people in our culture who people are fascinated with. You know what it's typically related to? It's related to people that are literally living out their specific calling in a way that bursts God's beauty in a way people are like, I want that. I'll follow that. I'll feed that mission. I'll support that mission. I'll give in to that vision. There's something so beautiful when we find what God's called us to do, and it creates opportunities to have relationships where we can pour fuel on the fire of somebody else's life and invest in them. It's not based on an institutional power that a building is going to change the world. It's based on individual people called by God to go out into the spaces that need heaven deeply represented. So beautiful when we think about it. It's a reminder of this assumption that this is God's abundance of truth. There's so many lies that are trying to get spoken over us for who we are. But God's truth is that we were created uniquely. He sees abundance for our lives. You were made for more in his vision that you were made for more in your life. This is who he's created you to be. So how are we accomplishing this at, at our church? How are we doing it? And once again, we're not, we're not doing this perfect. And God's highlighting and helping us. Make sure that we prioritize. How are we helping you discover your unique and personal calling? What are, we, what are we doing to help other people discover that? You know, right now we have a very come and do type of a culture at our church, right? Hey, come volunteer. Get, get plugged in. Hey, come, come join a small group, right? Like, very, come on. Like, let's come do this together. Let's build an appetite for the things that, that Jesus witnessed out of his own life. Hey, let's go serve our community, right? Let's serve our city. Let's give up our time and serve our neighbors. Hey, let's, let's grow together, right? There's so many different ways. And, and what's been so cool of this past season is, is you can see it when it starts, the light bulb starts going on with certain people. Through the passivity of just different things that we put on the church calendar, there's light bulbs that go off with people where it's like, that person's living out their calling. They figured it out. They're, they're leading a small group where they're, they're literally leading a group out of the unique calling that only they have. And people are attracted to that. People are following them because of that. But here's what I know. The, the way that we're doing it is not perfect. It's passive. And once again, it needs to be brought into more intentionality. Right now we're developing and looking at something we're calling the calling lab. 
something that we're going to provide for us where we get together, we look at our personality types, we look at who we're called to be in the scriptures in terms of our gift mix. We put all that, we triangulate together, and we try to figure out what am I called to do. Where you walk into an environment to learn and focus and be entrepreneurial in your pursuit of yourself, and you walk out saying, I know confidently I am called to do what? Where we, we walk up to one another and we say, what are you called to do? And people aren't like, well, I don't know. It's like, no, I know what I'm called to do. So now I know how to prioritize my life because God's gifted me in a way no one else can contribute in the way that I can. It's unique. It's personal. But once again, we have to create an environment, an intentional environment for people to discover that so that we can be all who God has called us to be. Up on the screen, and we talked about this a little last week, is that sometimes the church takes a posture as we can do it, you can help. Okay, we're going to do it, pastor's going to do it, you just help with, with our vision. Yeah, hey, we're going to put all these things on the counter, you're going to help. But what we're realizing is, is, is it needs to change. It needs to change kind of more into the mantra of Home Depot. You can do it, we can help. Because how much more powerful is one person's vision versus visions multiplied and ministering and bringing the kingdom of God and his power to every nook and cranny, being the fullness of God, every place in every way. Come on, somebody. Shifting from a come and do building mindset to a go and be, each and every one of us are called to be everyday missionaries. Missionaries are not just for people who are placed in other countries. God has called each and every one of us to be everyday missionaries right where we are. But it's interesting. Be, do, go. Those words are presented in there. But it, it, it's almost like they're a little bit out of order. Because when we, when we say come and do, right, we're, we're forgetting who we are. We got, we got to remind everybody who we are. We're, we're, we're called to be missionaries. The Bible says the priesthood of all believers each and every one of us can't erase the mission of God, the Great Commission, calling to others to be disciple makers. It's not just for the pastors. It's not just for the staff. But it's a mission that God had in mind for his church. We are the church. But we got to be people that also come and do. we got to be people that understand that Sunday mornings and the places that we provide for other people are a way for people to be loved on and get plugged in and to discover Jesus, live out our calling. And I want to end with this this morning, this truth. It'll be up on the screen. You are a masterpiece made for a one-of-a-kind masterpiece mission. You are. We need more masterpieces. Can I say what we don't necessarily need that's going to change the world? We need it. We need more volunteers, but we don't need more volunteers in the status of we need more masterpieces. Because volunteers creates a cap in who God's called us to be. And I'll just say this, okay, we always need more volunteers. We need people to help serve families on Sundays. This matters. There's no reason to shut the door on how we express church on Sundays. No, absolutely not. And I'll just say this, too. If, like, if we call ourselves a part of this family, one way that we express it's we, we contribute. We serve. So if, if you're a person that's like, I want you. I want you to see the value and get plugged in to serving. But I'll say this. As your pastor, I do not view you as a volunteer. I view you as a masterpiece. 
Serving other people is a way that we express what it means to follow Jesus. But you are not a volunteer. You are a masterpiece. You have been uniquely created to go do the mission specifically that God has called you to do to contribute to the larger mission where we pass it on, where people burn down church buildings, where tax status is taken away for churches, it doesn't matter because the church is still thriving because we're living out the mission and it's not about a structure, a building, a program, but it's about the people of God fervently chasing after the mission of God and investing in other people and causing the virus to spread. That virus of sacrificial, unforgettable, radical love. He's called us. We want to equip you to do that. We want to equip you to go and be not just a volunteer, not just to come and do. Yeah, it matters. It's a great way to get plugged in. It's a great way to build an appetite away from being self-serving as a human being because that's our normal. Our normal is like, well, how does this, me, me, me. Eventually, we got to make a transition to start caring about the needs of other people. And we take that a step further by caring about other people, other people in a way that's unique to who God's created us to be. So the question I want to leave us with this morning is, are you living in your sweet spot? Are you living in it? You're made for more. Are you living in that unique sweet spot of who God's called you to be, the reason you were created? the intersection of the be, the do, the go? Are you a disciple who makes disciples wherever you are, primarily? Are you a person that understands you've been uniquely created to do good works and deeds where it's most advantageous for you? And here, here's, the reality is maybe you, there's an entry point for you right now. Maybe you're not a, a follower of Jesus and you're like this whole idea of church and you've been kind of burned by the institution of the church. But maybe God's kind of knocking on your heart this morning. And your first step is just saying, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to begin to follow this man claiming to be God. And that's going to look different for everybody. But I would just invite you, enter in. Enter into a God who loves you bigger than the mistakes you've made and gives you the grace for your life and a future for your life beyond your wildest imagination. Start journeying with that God. Does that mean you have to have a perfect theology? You have to have read the Bible? No. Start making the commitment to journey with him. Keep showing up. Keep learning about the truth of how God sees you and has called you to have a unique purpose. Keep on showing up. Maybe that's your entry point this morning. Maybe that's, that applies to others. Maybe there's, there's some of us in the room that we're just in a current reality where the sweet spots, maybe we're not living in our sweet spot. And we're saying, okay, it's time I take that sweet spot seriously. It's time I try to figure out how do I be a disciple how do I make disciples? And how do I entrepreneurially chase after who God's created me to be? And I'll just say this. As a church, that's we're here to help. That's what we're about. We're about feeding and supporting the mission that God's placed in you. Because once again, multiplied missions all over our city is so much better than one vision from one pastor or a set of pastors. Are you living in your sweet spot. My prayer is if you're not, man, we would chase after what it means to live in that sweet spot as a church community as hard as we possibly can. Amen? Let's pray this morning.